welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Christina Bone. She is a strategic marketing leader with 25 years of healthcare industry experience. She started her career as a registered nurse caring for patients in a hospital setting and then she expanded it across the marketing spectrum in both pharmaceuticals and medical device industries. She's originally from Colombia, has lived and worked in Europe for over a decade while working in global marketing roles and has settled back in the US with her husband and two children. She's passionate about mentoring low-income high school students and is grateful to find time to play tennis and compete in recreational leagues. Hi, Christina. Welcome to Women to Women podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I've known you for many, many years. But for our listeners, let's just talk a little bit about how it was for you growing up in Colombia. At what point did you decide that uh, you wanted to move out, come to U.S.? And how has that journey been for you? Well, I, I like you said, I was born in Cali, in Colombia. Well, family, I would say, just, you know, my sister and I, my mom and dad. And um, I grew up a normal child suburban kind of setting, you know, going to school. And I mean, life wasn't always easy because, you know, my dad has been suffering from alcoholism for for as long as I've known him. You know, that was the, the most troubling thing, I think, that my family had to deal with, and particularly my mom. But, uh, you know, besides that, we were kind of your, you know, middle-income type of family. But, you know, uh, the, the alcoholism and, you know, some of the behaviors that he got into because of that, like gambling and things like this, you know, usually got into our family life. And I know it was difficult for my mom growing up. We moved to the U.S. not because it was, you know, our decision, you you know, my parents basically decided to move. I was 13, 14 years old when I moved to the U.S. My dad, um, fortunately, had a, a job offer that he decided to take and move the whole family in Kansas City, Missouri. And we already had family in Kansas City, also in New Jersey as well. And I think maybe my dad saw, saw some of that, you know, that this is a, a, for a way to, for me to kind of get out of this environment and provide my kids with a better future. And, and I'm very thankful, probably the one driving that decision. Once you got here, did you have any challenges adjusting? Like suddenly you come at a middle school level, clearly you didn't have friends, so you had to make new friends. You kind of had to do this whole networking strategy from a very early on age, new school system, new place, new language, new friends. How did you manage that? Well, I think young kids and, you know, I was 14, I'm remembering now because I remember celebrating my 15 uh, year birthday the year after, which is a big deal in the Latin culture. Kids that age are very resilient still. You know, the, I think the younger they are, the more resilient perhaps. You know, we, my sister and I were just thrown into high school. We were put in, uh, I think it was the sophomore year, the end of, or the, the end of uh, the freshman year of high school. I think it was maybe freshman because it was, we came here in the spring uh, around April timeframe. And we were just kind of thrown into classes. You know, we walked into classes we didn't really know anything about. Uh, you know, the school year is sort of ending and we're just sort of like trying to figure out what's going on. We didn't really speak the language. We knew no one. It was um, diving into the deepest part of the pool. You swim up uh, for air just because if you, if you don't, you die. <laughs> It was, it was that kind of approach, which I think is maybe good in some ways in the sense that we had to adapt very quickly. We we picked up the language very quickly. We became survivors in a way. There's no other choice, really. The people that, you know, knew about us at the high school, you know, you can just imagine in Kansas City, there were not that many, you know, Hispanic teenage girls walking around looking like they're lost. Just, I felt that the whole school knew about us. We were actually interviewed and put in the, the school 
school newspaper, like, you know, these two girls from Mars, you know, they come to this, your typical U.S. high school that probably doesn't see a lot of diversity uh, in general. And times I feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I probably look like an alien, like to all these kids. But so it was, it was tough, but we were, we were kind of ready for it. I mean, we, we, we didn't have an easy, you know, growing up experience, as I mentioned. So we were tough skin, I think. It's still not easy, you know, because there's a lot of social pressures and, but we made it. I mean, it's uh, sometimes when I think back, it's like amazing that we, you know, we didn't get into drugs. We didn't get into any crazy relationships with crazy people or, you know, we just picked up our books and we studied like we had done in Colombia because in Colombia we were, you know, they, we had this, they have this system of ranking students in, in high schools in Colombia. And my sister and I were always like in the top 10. We, that's all we did. And I think it's, well, that's all we did. We studied. And I think it's because my mom was always instilling in us, look at me, you know, I don't have that great of education. I'm tied to, you know, to your dad. I can't do anything. You know, he's an alcoholic and we're, you, you know, we don't have a lot of choices. So you make sure you study, you study. And when you grow up, you build your own future and you don't depend on anybody. And I heard this sermon, I would say several times a day throughout my, my life. I kid you not. So we were always like tied to the books. We would go to bed at two o'clock in the morning, you know, making sure that everything we were submitting for school was absolutely perfect. Maybe we did have, maybe we had OCD. And I think that level of preparation, you know, and from the, at the Columbia, when we were in Columbia, going to school in Columbia, kind of helped us get, go through or, or get through high school because in high school, we were sort of thrown into a new environment and we didn't really have a lot of time to catch up. And so, you know, that good educational foundation was, was very, very good for us, I think. So moving forward, so you're now in your senior year in high school. What were the career options you evaluated? At that point, what did you think you wanted to be? And what kind of degree were you seeking? <laughs> Unfortunately, my parents uh, divorced when we came to the U.S. I guess things got worse and my, my mom saw more opportunities for her. You know, I'm glad she did. But uh, that threw the family unit uh, out of whack. So there was no college fund, no, no savings of any kind for us to, you know, dip into uh, for school or college uh, purposes. So it was kind of like, you know, we graduate from high school and you're sort of on your own kind of thing. What I did um, after school, after high school, I joined the Air Force. It just seemed like the most logical thing for me to do. You know, I can get away from the mess that, you know, my parents are getting divorced. And then I can also get some assistance. You know, the recruiter uh, was telling me that you can go to school while you work, you can go to school at night. Uh, and when you leave the, the armed forces, you can get the GI Bill, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you had me at school. I joined the Air Force and I think that was the best thing I ever did. Uh, you know, at that point, it was just like my only option and it sounded like a good one. I went to school at night. I played war during the day and whatever else I needed to do for, you know, for, for the Air Force during the day. I remember the wall was still up in Germany. You know, Point Charlie was still there. You know, the, the Cold War was still the Cold War. I think I'm just re revealing my age now. But, you know, we would, I, I got station. Uh, to, I was in, in Germany for two years and we were actually playing war, you know, putting up all these chemical suits, playing different war scenarios, training with like chemical type of stuff so that you would survive. And they would throw us in this tent full of nasty chemicals with the suit on, get in, get out. I mean, and we were doing it all. And so at night I would study. <laughs> so that um, I did. And I had roughly about two years worth of college credits when I got out of the Air Force and I finished my degree with the GI Bill after the Air Force. So 
so the plan worked out at the end. Congratulations. It's quite a story, by the way. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm an open book, as you can see. <laughs> so what was the degree in and how did that lead you to marketing? Um, I, the, my degree is uh, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. So I finished my degree at the at Emory University in Atlanta. I, I ended up in Atlanta because I was at the time I was dating, you know, someone that was in the Air Force, of course, and he ended up, he was a pilot and Air Force people get kind of thrown with the airline. So, you know, he got uh, a job with Delta. And so that's how I ended up. I left the Air Force and, and moved. I finished my Air Force commitment while I was in Germany. And then I came to Atlanta. And so I, that's how I ended up going to Emory. Uh, and Emory um, had a very good program where they would subsidize your education in nursing in exchange for two years of, of work basically. So I graduated from Emory and started working for the Emory healthcare system in Atlanta, which is fantastic. So I did nursing for four or five years or so, um, all hospital-based nursing, critical care, open heart surgeries, step-down units, uh, telemetry units, um, ambulatory surgeries, everything. I think in a hospital, I think I touched a little bit of and did that until I started kind of sensing uh, some of the, the business issues that drive cost-cutting measures in, in a nursing budget normally, which is the big one of the biggest budgets in a, in a hospital PL. And so they started, um, you know, when you're working in an ICU unit, you normally don't want to have more than one, maybe two less acuity type patient. But, you know, I am in an ICU and I'm taking care of three people uh, or I'm in a step-down unit and I'm the only RN working around in the, the place um, because they, you know, cut, we're try at the time, we're trying to bring in more nursing assistants and less RNs to cut down nursing budget. So things of this nature kind of drove me to think about, well, maybe I should uh, go back to school, get a better understanding of how these decisions are made. I like healthcare. Maybe I can, um, uh, I actually did consider a nurse practitioner degree, but you know, I thought that an MBA would open more doors for me. So that's that's what I did. I went for an MBA. I applied for a scholarship and uh, I got a a really nice scholarship out of the University of Wisconsin, uh, UW, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So I went to Madison and finished my degree there two years later. And um, that was also a very nice opportunity. With some of that financial assistance, I was not, I didn't have to work. I was a full-time student for the first time in my life. And it was, it was nice. <laughs> it was nice to focus all my attention there because as you can imagine, I was coming in as a nurse, you know, just clinical experience. And I'm doing an MBA with like bankers, engineers, and people that have had three, five years of business experience. So I needed to catch up and catch up quickly <laughs> because a lot of the, the MBA work is group work learn and get through your assignments uh, with within teams, which is good. But, you know, I wanted to make sure I was able to add value at that level. I was actually, you know, the, I became the president of the MBA local student association and, you know, ran for office. I was, I was having fun. <laughs> You had too much time. You're not working. Yes, I know. I'm not working. It's like, whoa, I can do all this other stuff. After that, you end up moving to Denmark, your third big move, right? Oh, gosh, yes. So um, while I was at UW, I met uh, my husband, uh, and he was an international exchange student from the CBS, the Copenhagen Business School. So there's a bilateral agreement between UW and CBS where they bring two students from 
Copenhagen and we sent two students from Madison every semester. So he was one of them uh, at UW. We met and we dated. He was there for the last year of my MBA. And then he went back and we dated long distance a couple of years after that. And then we decided to, to get married. By this time, I was already in the pharma industry. I had uh, started with GSK. I decided to, we got married and we decided to start our lives together in Denmark. So I quit GSK and moved to Copenhagen, hoping for the best. Uh, so obviously I would, I talked to the sales office and uh, of GlaxoSmithKline in Denmark and they were like, oh, you have fantastic uh, credentials. You know, you, we certainly want to keep you within GSK, but you know, how is your Danish? You, you speak Danish, right? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> so I was like, oh no, what have I done? You know, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I, I must've been out of my mind moving to another country and kind of putting my career on hold or totally in the unknown, not sure what's going to happen. But I got lucky again, I guess. I should use that word carefully because everything that I've done in my life, I have thrown myself completely and fully 100%. But I did get a chance to interview for a program that uh, Novo Nordisk had in Denmark called Global Marketing Graduate Program. I was lucky to get invited to an interview. And I think what they liked about it was that, um, you know, my nursing background in the, the MBA. And, and I had the right profile because they don't want to bring in, they, they want young people with not a lot of experience, obviously. This is a way to get them ex the experience they need and help build their careers. Told that they received almost 800 applications. So when I heard that I got invited, I was like over, over the moon. The things that I did for that interview, you have, I mean, I put presentations together. I, they sensed the the passion and, and the eagerness that I had going in. And out of 800 people, basically, they chose to, me and this other person. And that was the beginning of my marketing because, you know, at GSK, I had decided to take a sales, uh, pharmaceutical sales role to kind of build up my business ac acumen and get me that sales experience prior going into a marketing role. So this was the beginning of my marketing career, if you will. So at Novo Nordisk, I ended up staying 12 years. Yeah, nine years of global marketing experience in Copenhagen. And then my husband and I, after we had our kids in Denmark, we all, all four of us moved back to the U.S. still with Novo. And I stayed another three years with Novo here in the U.S. doing, you know, U.S. marketing. It's actually very nice to, to live in Europe for, for that period of time and travel and see different cultures and, you know, learn. Danish, which I finally did uh, work. They, Novo was fantastic. They sent me to Spain to work uh, as part of that um, global graduate program. I was in Spain for six months until working with the Spaniards. It was just hilarious. It was such it was such a good experience overall. You've worked in so many countries. Uh, you speak so many languages well, and I can attest to it. It has come really handy in my life <laughs> traveling with you. Do you think all of this travel and really having this experience with different cultures has really shaped your perspective in a better way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing like uh, bringing in diversity and, and different perspectives into a discussion. And it sounds cliche in a way, but I've, I've experienced it. And it's so nice to have, you know, people in a room that think differently, that say things that you would have never think thought about. And it's fun. You know, can you imagine a whole bunch of people speaking the same language, thinking the same? I, you know, I would be bored to tears. I, I love to see the different perspectives. I like to hear people speak different languages and you know, just to kind of hear the sound of that, I think is, is interesting. Be exposed to the impact that different cultures have. It is kind of fascinating. I've, I've read some of the, these 
culture books that give you more details about, you know, the Chinese culture and the Japanese culture. Because right now I'm working in a global marketing role. And it's just fascinating to kind of read about that and then put it into motion, put it into practice with the things that you do and see it work. For example, you know, when I have meetings with my Chinese colleagues, I know that they're not going to make any decisions during a meeting. You know, meetings are just for information gathering. So I'm not expecting to have any decisions made in those meetings, plan my work around that. And and I read that in a book, probably smart to kind of, if you're in in roles where you work with different uh, cultures, uh, and even here in the U.S., because this is this is indeed a melting pot of cultures, to be aware of those differences in how people behave and how they may think. So in your career, did you ever seek out mentors and how did they really help you? Sometimes not actively. And th- I think that's something that we all have the tendency to kind of put on the back burner. I'll get to it when I get to it, you know, and I have too much work to do. I've fallen into those situations where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have anybody to talk to about this. But um, I think that the older that you get, the more experience that you build as part of your career, you realize how important these people are, especially in big pharma, where there's thousands of people and you have to have a network. So it's, it's about having that mentor, but it's also developing a network. You know, I, I'm running into that right now. Where I am right now has only been there for a year and a half and people in this company, they, they tend to stay for a while. <laughs> so you need to, so everybody kind of knows everybody in a way. Uh, so you have to, you know, catch up and not only have a good mentor, but also build that network network and find the time to do so. How important is networking for, especially for women? You know, I'm finding out that it sometimes depends on the company. Right now I'm in a company where a network goes far. You can uh, be better supported in better position to look for other opportunities within, within that company if you have a network. This person can connect you with this person and that person, can, and it's just like a web. And then uh, by the time you get to an interview, you're fully prepared because now you, you, you know the full, the full story and you know how to position yourself to, to add value to that story. So if you're looking for a job within the company and even outside, it's time well spent to build that network and maintain it because it's maybe sometimes easier to build it. But um, at the end of the day, you also have to devote time and maybe maybe try to classify people within that network because you cannot you know, do networking all day long. You also have a job and a family to take care of. So you may want to, you know, decide who within your network is going to get the most of your time and, and why and have a, have a reason why. So you mentioned kids. So with all these moves and having kids and changing careers, you know, jobs, how has that played out? Like how was your work-life balance and what really helped you get through all of this? That is a tough one. People work a lot, I think, in general. You know, you still see the emails coming in at 11.30 at night and, you know, you have all these meetings where, you know, you they want you to speak up and add value and how do you prepare for all those meetings? How do you get the, the background knowledge when you join a team? It's, it's not easy. I mean, I did have my kids in Denmark, which is very nice. I I do wish that the U.S. was more like Denmark in the sense that, you know, when you have a child in in Denmark, you can take a year off and depending on the company, you can have your job kind of be put on hold so that while you're on your one-year maternity, getting paid either, you know, by the company or by the state, or usually it's a combination of the two, you maintain your salary during that year, you get back to your job 
at the end of that year. It's not guaranteed that you will have the same job, but it, say you have a marketing job, it will be within the marketing organization going, but that you will go back to, which is fantastic. You know, and Sweden is more like two years, you know, that's completely unheard of here in the U.S. And it's, it's such a shame. Is that bonding that you kind of miss on, um, you know, when you have to put your your child in, in daycare at three months of age or, you know, somewhere thereabout. So so that made it easier for me at the beginning. You know, I was ready to go back to work after a year, but it was nice to stay home with my, my children, both of them, you know, for a whole year. Then after that, you know, my husband has always been very supportive and he's also Danish. And I think that's also part of that culture that men, in Denmark are very involved with child upbringing and you know they change diapers they go out with the little carriage you know outside and in fact sometimes when you walk or see you're in Copenhagen you see more men than women pushing the little buggies with their kids and the kids in them uh, which is fantastic you know I grew up in a culture where you don't see men doing anything related to to child rearing. So I had the support of my husband. We both have careers. So we've always kind of supported each other as much as possible. And then when it became, so I got into an au pair program um, and brought a couple of girls uh, from Colombia, the first one for two years and the second one for like a year or so. So we, we've had, you know, uh, babysitters as well, but I did plan to uh, have somebody here living with us. And that obviously took some adjustments, but, uh, but I think it was it was worthwhile. You know, you just kind of make it work. I have worked late and, you know, sometimes I, after dinner and the kids are in bed, I go back to the computer and, but I don't like it. I normally don't like it. I feel, I, I do it probably more often than I should, but I do try to find time, my husband and, and the television to, you know, sit down and relax and just look at a screen for a little while and not think too much about anything. In your career, um, did you ever have to face typical perceptions um, that surround women and you felt at a disadvantage? I didn't really feel it. I haven't felt it that much. Maybe because maybe I do have those behaviors that are, you know, sometimes we think are more male-like, you know, like the ones uh, about speaking up and voicing your opinion and being critical. That That is very much me in the meeting, uh, especially as I've gotten more, uh, more experience under my belt. I don't have any doubts about leaning in, get into the discussion. You're part of this conversation. No, I'm, I'm in there and I say what I feel needs to be said. And sometimes I say say things that I know everybody is thinking, but they don't want to say it. I just kind of take the risk and do it. So I'm very vocal uh, and very critical. Uh, do I do come to meetings and projects with a with an open mind for sure. I'm always looking for opportunities to make the process work for you and that have the process kind of tie you up and make the best out of anything that we're working on. The more experience that you have, the more ideas and the more ways that you think of to improve what you're doing. And I've always been very vocal, even asking things that sometimes ashamed to ask. I feel like, oh my gosh, I think everybody knows the answer to this question, but I, I need to know. And not, not being afraid of asking. So I've always had that type of behavior. I don't know if it's because, you know, I had kind of a rough upbringing. So I'm a survivor and, and I, whatever it takes for me to succeed, <laughs> I will do. And for me, su succeeding in a business environment is giving it your best. Part of, of that is plain caring about you know, your company and your colleagues and the work that you do. And when you care to that level, it's like, it's so natural to just speak up and, you know, behave like some women may think 
is more men-like than lady-like, but uh, being a woman is perhaps my my background. I may not speak the most beautiful English, and I don't think I ever will. Sometimes I think that, well, do they want someone that is a more eloquent speaker? And, you know, did I use the words, the most beautiful words to express what I needed to express? Probably not. That I, I, I think I have maybe felt more and maybe it was more coming from me than than anyone else to me that's more of a something more tangible than woman versus man and in terms of uh, basic behaviors right you said women usually tend to not speak up they we have self-doubt are there certain traits that you think hold us back yeah i mean i think sometimes the way women are brought up to be the caring person you know the don't don't rock the boat take care of people maybe give up certain things that you want just because you don't want to be too selfish you know things like this i think place women in a situation where they wonder, you know, should I be speaking up? Should I be going for this role? Absolutely. I think, uh, and, but I don't think uh, everybody's like that. Things are changing slowly. I'm running into a lot of strong women. Maybe, I don't know if it's the industry or what it is, but the women that I meet, at least in pharma, I mean, they're go-getters and they're, they're solid. They're strong. They have an opinion and boy, do they have opinions. And it's, it's lovely to see that, I think. So I don't know if it's also by industry, um, but I think women are just getting stronger and stronger. And, you know, we see this in every way of life and, and in more industries than ever, I think. Thank you, Christina. Any closing comments for our listeners? As we go through life, is is sometimes easier to just keep things simple and just say to yourself, you know, I'm here to do good. Just just do good. And when you have that frame of mind transcending across everything that you do from work, from school, from families, that will always kind of get you to where you want to go and in a nice way. I'm not a very religious person. I'm a very spiritual kind of person. And I believe in this positive and negative energies and doing good and just having that mentality. Okay, what you go into a, a situation, what can I do here that is that will be good? And that always pays off. It's it's just like this positive vibe that comes right back to you. That has worked for me, giving it that extra effort. Over prepare and see yourself blowing whatever it is that you're doing out of the water and giving it that extra effort. You know, like when we say 110%, it's really like 200%. And you know that you gave it your best. And whatever the outcome is, you feel good because that was what you were meant to do. And you did it. And things usually happen for a reason. But, you know, that positive energy will always follow you. Thank you so much, Christina, for your time, for the advice. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.